If you have a Bible, Isaiah chapter 11 is where we'll be today. Today's text starts with an interesting word picture. This is something God does throughout the Bible to help us understand him. He talks about how he's like a father and we're like children. It's a word picture. He talks about how he's like a shepherd and we're like sheep. In today's text, in order to understand it, you have to understand the picture, the metaphor that he's using. This is something that Isaiah uses throughout the book and it becomes especially important in chapter 11. Here's the picture. The picture is that of a tree. In Psalm chapter one, the psalmist says that the person who delights in the Lord will be like a strong tree that's planted by streams of water. And Isaiah is taking that metaphor and he's applying it to the nation of Israel. And here's what he says, Isaiah chapter one, verse 30. He's prophesying the destruction that's going to come to Israel. And here's what he says, for you will become like an oak whose leaves are withered and like a garden without water. In Isaiah chapter five, God is talking and he's describing how Israel is like this vineyard that he had planted and he expected it to yield good grapes, but instead it's yielded bad grapes. So instead of the trees in this vineyard thriving, instead they've started to wither and decay and become rotten. In chapter six, Isaiah is in this heavenly throne room vision and God is speaking and he says, God speaks to him and says, Isaiah 6, 13, though a tenth will remain in the land, talking about the people, it will be burned again. Like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. And then in chapter 10, starting in verse 33, the Lord is speaking and he says, look, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power and the tall trees will be cut down. The high trees felled. Verse 34, he is clearing the thickets of the forest with an ax and Lebanon with its majesty will fall. So do you, do you get the picture? Israel is supposed to be this oak that is following the Lord and influencing the nations to worship God. And instead they've disobeyed him. They've followed the other nations and they've started worshiping false gods. And so God is saying that you are supposed to be like this strong oak, but because you haven't followed me and listened to me, you've started to decay and rot you started to wither and you're gonna be chopped down because that's what happens to trees that start to rot. And he's going to use the Assyrians to chop them down, but the Assyrians are just also going to be chopped down after that. And so the picture that we get as we enter Isaiah chapter 11 is this picture of a field that is supposed to have all of these massive oak trees but instead the field just has all of these stumps. That's the picture. Have you ever felt like your life was kind of like a stump? What I mean by that is, have you ever had something that used to be so strong and secure and tall? And now because of just life and dysfunction, it's down to just a stump. 
Maybe that's how you feel about your career. Maybe you thought you were on the right path and really on your way, but now you're looking for a job again. Maybe that's how you feel about a relationship in your life, that there was this hope and this promise of something, something strong and tall, like a big oak, but now it's been reduced to a stump. Maybe that's true of a relationship that you were in, that you were dating someone, or maybe a marriage, or maybe your relationship with one of your kids. Or maybe this is how you feel about your finances, that at one time it was like an oak, it was strong and tall, but now it's like a stump. Maybe it's how you feel about your health. Maybe it's how you feel about just your reputation. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you disappointed someone. Maybe you embarrassed yourself and what once was an oak is now a stump. Maybe this is how you feel about your spiritual life. At one time, you felt like you were really close to the Lord, but now you just, you feel like he's so distant. And what once was an oak is now a stump. Don't we all have seasons of our life where it feels like what used to be tall and strong like an oak is reduced to a stump? Don't we all have moments like that? What hope is there for stumps? What hope is there for stumps. That's what Isaiah chapter 11 is about. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 says, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The hope for stumps is that there is one stump that is not dead yet. There is one stump that still has life running through its veins. The hope for the many stumps is the branch that is springing up from the stump of Jesse. This morning, we're going to walk through Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to see what's so great about this branch that's growing. We're going to see who this branch is and why you should trust him. So first, who is this branch that's growing out of the stump of Jesse? This branch is a new and better King David. It's a new and better King David. Jesse, we're not talking about Pastor Jesse here in verse 1. We're talking about father of David. David was a national hero for the people of Israel because he had been their best king and because he is somebody that they could trust who walked with the Lord in his leadership. And so he's this national hero because of their history, but also because of this promise that God made to David. David is the one who established the capital city in Jerusalem And so he thought, okay, I'm going to build a house for the Lord here. And the Lord comes to him and says, no, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. Here's what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 8. So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, 
to be ruler over all my people, Israel. Verse nine, I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest of the earth. I will designate a place for my people, Israel, and listen to this, and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Verse 12, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you, your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David is significant to the nation of Israel, not just because he was king one time, but because God made a promise to him that there will be a descendant from his line who will have a kingdom that will never end. And that is not just good news for David, that's good news for the people, because that means that someday they will have a kingdom of justice and peace again. Right now, the nation of Israel is looking around and It's just a bunch of stumps. Everything's falling apart. All the other nations seem to be prospering and they are suffering and it's their own fault. This is reason for hope because Isaiah is telling them here, listen, God remembers his promise to David. And while everything around you might be a stump, there's going to be a shoot from the stump of Jesse that's going to spring up. There's going to be a branch on the stump of Jesse again. And by saying the stump of Jesse rather than the stump of David, Isaiah is letting us know that this is going to be a new and better David. He's saying, hey, You remember how great David was? This branch will be even greater. So there is hope. And so the rest of these verses here, verses one through five in chapter 11 are designed to help us see that this branch that he's talking about in verse one is a new and better David. He calls him the son of Jesse. He also says that this new and better David will be filled with the spirit of the Lord. Look at verse two. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In the Old Testament, being filled with the Holy Spirit was a sign that God was going to use you to lead. Moses was filled with the Spirit. Prophets were filled with the Spirit. Joshua was filled with the Spirit. Judges were filled with the Spirit. And yes, David had been filled with the Spirit when he was anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. So by saying that this this branch from the stump of Jesse is going to be filled with the spirit, that the spirit of God is going to rest on him. It's saying, yep, it's a new and better David. And this spirit is going to rest on the branch so that the Lord can accomplish his purpose through him. 
The spirit being on someone in the Old Testament was a way of saying that, yes, the Lord is pleased with you and the Lord is going to use you. The Lord is pleased with you and the Lord is going to use you. And so Isaiah is saying, hey, the branch from the stump of Jesse, it's going to be just like David, but better. The spirit's going to be on this person. God's going to be pleased with this person and is going to use this person for his purpose. And this spirit is going to give this man wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and fear of the Lord. In other words, this person will be a wise leader who does what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Those terms are all terms that are used in the book of Proverbs to describe somebody who's wise. And so the idea here is that this branch from the stump of Jesse is going to be a new and better David who is going to rule wisely. He's going to lead wisely and he's going to lead with the fear of the Lord. Then Isaiah wants to show us what are some of the things that this leader is going to do? What is the branch going to do? This new and better King David is going to lead with fear of the Lord. Here's what that looks like. Uh, look at verse three, and, three through five. He says, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, verse four, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Verse five, righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. He's saying that this branch is going to lead with the fear of the Lord. Here's what that looks like. Uh, the leadership qualities of humility will be on this guy. How do we know that? Well, because this is someone who recognizes that his leadership is a stewardship. He's accountable to the Lord because he fears the Lord and he delights in that. It means that he's the kind of leader who knows, you know what, even though I've got the title, there's still someone who is above me that I am accountable to. So he'll be a humble leader. He'll also be a leader marked by discernment. He's not going to judge with his own eyes or his own ears. In other words, he's not just going to look at the situation and just his first, you know, this is what I think where he's got bias or subjectivity, or he doesn't really understand things from every angle, or he hasn't taken the time to be empathetic and hear from other perspectives. Instead, this is a leader who is going to, to always make the right assessment, the right judgment. He's going to have discernment because he's listening to the Lord. So he'll be objective and empathetic. And this is going to be a ruler marked by justice. He's going to do what's right. He's going to be faithful to the Lord. He's going to have righteousness and faithfulness strapped around him. That's what he's going to put on every day. When he gets ready to go to work, he's going to put on righteousness and put on faithfulness. He's going to be faithful to the Lord. That means that you're going to be able to trust him. Now, if you're a leader and you're listening to this, whether you're just a leader of your home or you lead a team at work or you lead a company, these are qualities that you should use to evaluate your own leadership. 
qualities of discernment and humility and justice, doing what's right. Those are all things that should mark leaders, especially Christian leaders. And it says that his speech is going to be his weapon. Did you notice that? In verse four, he's going to strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He's going to kill the wicked with a command from his lips. There's some hyperbole going on there, but, but the idea is that he speaks with authority. There's power in his words. This is why in Ephesians chapter six, verse 17, it says that the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so this leader here in Isaiah 11 is someone who speaks with authority. In Revelation, this, the, the king who is going to come has a sword in his mouth. Why? Because there's authority that he has. So Isaiah was saying to Israel, look, recognize that you are a stump because of your sin, but trust that the Lord is going to bring a branch from one of the stumps for the sake of all of you. The Lord is going to bring a branch from one of the stumps, the stump of Jesse. And that branch is going to be a leader that you can trust. He's going to be a leader who's new and who's better than David. So for Israel, hearing this message meant that they needed to repent of their sin and trust in the Lord to send that branch. For you, And for me, this means that we need to repent of our sin and trust that the Lord has sent the branch. The intention of the gospels is to help you and me come to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the branch. And so I just wanna show you a few things from the gospel of Matthew that point to the fact that Jesus is the promised branch of Isaiah chapter 11. In Matthew's gospel in particular, Matthew is is interested in showing that Jesus is connected to David. In Matthew's genealogy, Matthew 1 verse 1 says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he pieces together this genealogy, but he does it in a very artistic way. He uses three sets of 14 generations, and we can study that sometime when we go through Matthew. But What he's using there is a literary device called gematria. Gematria, here's what that means. It's when you assign a number to someone's name based on adding up the letters in their name. So in David's case, his number was 14. He had three letters in his name. If you add up those letters and their place in the alphabet, it equals 14. And so by using three sets of these 14 generations, Matthew is connecting the fact that Jesus is the son of David. He's the promised son of David. Then it gets better. In Matthew chapter two, Jesus is with his family and they've been hiding in Egypt because there was gonna be persecution that was gonna take place. And then once Jesus gets a little bit older, they come back to the land. An angel comes to Joseph, his dad, and says, hey, come back to the land. And here's what happens. Matthew 2, 23. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Now, what in the world does that prophecy mean? There's not an Old Testament prophecy that says that Jesus will be from Nazareth or that he will be a Nazarene. But here's what I think this is a reference to. Here's what Dr. Brian Beyer says in his, his commentary on Isaiah. He says, the answer to this prophecy is probably the similarity between the Hebrew words branch and Nazareth. The Hebrew word for branch in Isaiah 11.1 1 is netzer, whereas the Hebrew word for Nazareth is Nazareth. One could thus understand Nazareth to mean branchville or branch town. In effect, Matthew is saying, look how amazingly God fulfills his word. In the Old Testament, he promised that the branch of David, the Messiah, would come to rule. And when he did, just look where the branch lived, in branch town. Even the place the Messiah lives fulfills God's word through his prophets. Jesus is this branch in Matthew 2. He will be called a Nazarene. He will be called a person of the branch. And then in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Look at verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the one from the line of David, the line of Jesse. Jesus is the one who is from Branchtown. And Jesus is the one who the spirit of the Lord comes upon so that he can walk in obedience. And the very next chapter in Matthew is Jesus being led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And he overcomes the temptation and obeys because Jesus is the promised branch. Jesus came in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy here in Isaiah 11, 700 years later. This was written 700 years before Jesus came and Jesus came to fulfill it. But here's what's so cool. Jesus is not only the branch of Isaiah 11, but he's also the roots. He's not just the branch from the stump of Isaiah, but he's the roots of the branch or he's the roots of the stump of Isaiah, of, of Jesse. Look at uh, verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse, speaking about the same person. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Do you see what, what the idea here is? That Jesus is not just the end of the biblical prophecy that the prophets were pointing towards, but he was also the source of the biblical prophecy. Jesus is not only the one who fulfills the promise, but he's the one who made the promise. He's not only the son of Jesse or the son of David, but he's the son of God. He is the new and better King David. And so what is the hope for these stumps? To come and trust in the branch from the stump of Jesse, who is Jesus. But why should you trust this branch? Okay, so let's say that 
somehow this did work out and Jesus really is the person who's being talked about here, but why should you trust him? Why should you follow him? Here's why. You should follow the branch from the stump of Jesse, who is Jesus. You should follow him because of his vision for the world and his strategy to accomplish that vision. You should follow him because of his vision for the world and because of his strategy for accomplishing that vision. Here's what I mean. Here's his vision for the, for the world. Verse six. This is when he comes. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. Did you catch that? So there's gonna be in, in, in this branch's vision for the world, lions, wolves, lambs, and fattened calves all just can be in the same place and not be attacked. And a little kid can be there to lead them. <laughs> That's Jesus's vision for the world. That is a radical vision of peace. He goes on, it gets even crazier. Verse seven, the cow and bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. There's not gonna be attacking and violence here. Verse eight, this is the strangest. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. Now, I have an infant. I have a four-month-old toddler, and I promise I would be terrified if I just saw a cobra <laughs> just hanging out around her. But in Jesus's vision for the world, when he is king, that'll be totally normal because there will be radical peace in this kingdom. Verse nine, the summary of all of this is, they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. In other words, everyone is going to know the Lord in this kingdom, in this vision that Jesus has. People are gonna know the Lord personally. And so they're gonna do the right thing. They're gonna walk in his ways. And so there's not gonna be chaos and fighting and division. Instead, there's going to be peace in this kingdom. So Jesus's vision for the world is, is a vision of peace where enemies will no longer harm or destroy each other, but they'll live in harmony. Jesus's vision for the world is a vision of unity where all peoples will gather under one flag. Look at verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. Jesus's vision is international. All people are included in this. All nationalities, all ethnicities, all skin colors are included in this vision and they are all going to be united around one thing. And that one thing is the branch from the stump of Jesse, that is Jesus. So 
They're all, Jesus will be the flag that they wave, that unites them. That's Jesus's vision. And Jesus's vision for the world is, is a vision of justice. He wants people to do the right thing and for evildoers, those who are wicked, to be dealt with rightly. Though Israel has been chopped down, the branch will regather and restore this remnant so that they can execute justice on the nations. That's his vision. And that's the idea in verses 11 through 16. Look at this. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the coasts and islands of the West. Verse 12, he will lift up a banner for the nations. He will lift up himself. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Earth, Verse 13, Ephraim's envy will cease. Judah's harassing will end. Ephraim will no longer be envious of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. So there's going to be peace even in, in the midst of this kingdom. Verse 14, but they will swoop down on the Philistine flank to the west. Together they will plunder the people of the east. They will extend their power over Edom and Moab and the Ammonites will be their subjects. The Lord will divide the Gulf of Suez. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates with his mighty wind and will split it into seven streams, letting people walk through on foot. Verse 16, there will be a highway from the remnant of people who will survive from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And if that doesn't sound like justice to you, then just keep reading because in verses or in chapters 13 through 23, Isaiah is going to talk about why all of those nations deserve judgment. And Jesus's vision for the world is he's going to unite all people around himself. And then he's going to do justice in the world. That's his vision. And how does he go about accomplishing that? See, if when you hear about this world of peace and unity and justice, when you hear about that, that world, if your heart yearns for that, then you have a problem. And the problem is the same as mine. The problem is that you wouldn't be welcome in a land like that. If the vision for the land is that we're always going to be at peace and we're always going to stay united and we're, we're always going to do what's right, if that's the vision of the land, then you and me would not be welcome in that land. Because if we got there, we'd ruin it. We're stumps, remember? If we belonged in a land like that, we'd be oaks. If the vision of the land is the land of peace, unity, and justice, then dysfunctional people like us cannot go. And so here's how the branch accomplishes this vision for the world. Rather than coming to the earth and pouring out his judgment, 
on all of the stumps. Instead, he decides to make two trips. And in his first trip, he comes not to judge, but to suffer the judgment in our place. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53 through the lens of this this image of this branch coming up from the stump of Jesse. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Jesus comes as the branch from the stump of Jesse so that he can grow up to hang on a tree for you and me. Someday, he'll return in power to judge the world. So what should we do in response to this text? What does this text demand of you? First, you should come to the branch who's hanging on a tree. Come to the branch who's hanging on the tree. The mistakes of your past maybe cannot be reversed, but they can be atoned for. So come to the branch who's hanging on the tree in your place. Come and look to Jesus who is on the cross, who is suffering the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Come to him, repent of your sins, trust in him and be forgiven. Come and believe in the branch who's hanging on the tree. Here's the second thing that this text demands of us is we should follow the branches leadership. We should follow the branches leadership. Jesus went to the cross and he died, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead and he ascended to be with his father and he promises someday to return to the earth and make all things right. And now in the meantime, we get to follow his leadership by the power of the spirit. 
He has sent his spirit just as he was filled with the spirit. We are filled with the spirit so that we can walk in his ways. So trust in him and follow his leadership in the same way that he had righteousness around his belt and faithfulness around his waist. Paul says in Ephesians 6, look, you do the same thing. You dress the same way. Imitate him. Follow his leadership. So come to the branch. Follow the branch's leadership and make this known to the nations. Make this known to the nations. Jesus has come not just for people in the United States, certainly, and not just for people in Israel, but he's come for Israelis and Palestinians. He's come for people in the United States and people in Mexico and Canada. He's come for people in China. He's come for people in North Korea and South Korea. He's come for people in Japan and Indonesia. He's come for people in Brazil and Argentina. So make this known to the nations. Maybe God is calling you to go and take this message. Maybe he's calling you to go, literally, to sell stuff and move to the nations. Maybe he's calling you to do that. But certainly he's calling you to go to the cubicle and he's calling you to go to your neighbor beside you and across the street. And certainly he's calling you to go to your family gathering and share the message. So go, make this known to the nations because there is a branch who has come. His name is Jesus. He has a vision for the world. That's a vision of peace and justice, unity. The way he accomplishes that is by going to the cross. So make it known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being faithful to your promise to send a branch. Would you give faith where it's lacking now and would we look to that branch? Would we be saved from our sins? Would we follow your leadership and would we be ambassadors here on the earth? It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.